Welcome back to our study of 2 Kings. We are in 2 Kings chapter 19 today, and we're going to try to get through the entire chapter. In chapter 18, we saw that Assyria was threatening Jerusalem. Remember, Hezekiah is king of Judah at this point in Israel's history. And we're going to pick up the story where Hezekiah has just received word of what the messengers from the king of Assyria have said outside the walls of Jerusalem. So here we go, chapter 19, verse 1 of 2 Kings. says, As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So King Hezekiah has heard the words of the messengers from the king of Assyria, and uh, when he heard it, it says he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord, that is, the temple. Uh, so Hezekiah is distressed by what he has heard, and he sent men to the prophet Isaiah. This is the same Isaiah uh, that we know primarily by the book that bears his name, right? The prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, this Isaiah was alive during the reign of Hezekiah, and so King Hezekiah sent uh, men to the prophet Isaiah, uh, wondering if God, or asking if God would rebuke the king of Assyria. You might remember from chapter 18 that the king of Assyria, through his messengers, was mocking the God of Israel, treating the God of Israel like he was any other God of any other nation, uh, which of course those gods are not gods at all. Uh, not, this king of Assyria is not recognizing that the God of Israel is the one true God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. And so he sends these men to Isaiah to find out you know, what is God going to do. And Isaiah responds by saying that God will cause the king of Assyria to fall. He will hear a rumor and return to his land, and he will fall by the sword. That's in verses 5, 6, and 7. So the word of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah is God is going to handle this. God is going to uh, take down the king of Assyria who has mocked him. Right now, picking it up in verse 8, it says, The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Remember, the, the king himself is apparently not at Jerusalem like his messengers were, and so this messenger is going to find the king of Assyria. Verse 9, Now the king heard concerning Tirhakah, king of Cush, 
Behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hina, or the king of Iva? Okay, so this is almost a repetition of what we saw back in chapter 18, where the king of Assyria, again, is saying, don't trust in your God. Right? Verse uh, 10, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. He says, if your God is telling you that he's going to rescue you, he's lying to you. He is deceiving you. So this is blasphemy, right? This is horrible what the king of Assyria is saying. But you can understand why he is saying it. Not, to, not that it justifies it, but he thinks, the king of Assyria and his uh, pride and ignorance, he thinks that the God of Israel is just like the gods of all the other nations. And he's had no trouble dispatching the gods of the other nations and uh, you know winning victories over the other nations. And so he thinks that Judah is going to be just like all the rest. Um, we've seen already that he did the same thing, or Assyria did the same thing, to uh, the kingdom of Israel. And so uh, you can see where he's coming from inside of his worldview, even though we know that what he's saying is dishonoring to God, it's sinful, it's foolish, and he's going to suffer the consequences of saying these things later. All right, so picking up in verse 14. Now, Hezekiah, it says, received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So Hezekiah receives this message, and he does exactly what he ought to do. He takes this message that was delivered to him from the king of Assyria and he lays it before God. And essentially Hezekiah is saying, God, this is not about me. This is about you. The king of Assyria doesn't know you. He doesn't think that you're a real God. He doesn't think that you can thwart his plan. He doesn't think that you're stronger than him. He's mocking you. He's despising you. He's dishonoring you. And so I need you to do something about this. And Hezekiah puts his finger on what is the difference between the God of Israel and the gods of the other nations, and therefore the difference in the perspective of Hezekiah and the king of Assyria. 
He says, yeah, the king of Assyria has conquered those other nations and those other gods haven't been able to stop him. But that's because those other nations worship gods that aren't really gods. But you are not merely the God of Israel, like some kind of tribal God located in some particular region only. No, you are the God who the first verse of the Bible says created the heavens and the earth. You're the God over all of creation, over all of the world, all the nations. You rule over all. And the king of Assyria doesn't know that. And the nations don't know that. But if you uh, will take down the king of Assyria, it will show to the nations that you are the one true and living God. So uh, we need you to act. We need you to do something. Hezekiah is not trusting in his own power, his own army, his own might, his own ability, anything like that. He's laying this matter before the Lord and saying, God, we need you to handle this. Right, is a model for us in that, right? That's how we should respond to things like this. It's so much bigger than me, so far beyond me. God, I need you to do something about this. All right, so what happens next? Verse 20, Isaiah comes back into the story. It says, Then Isaiah the son of Amoz sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. So Isaiah sends to Hezekiah saying, God heard the prayer that you just prayed, which Isaiah probably doesn't even know about other than God has evidently revealed it to him. So here's what Isaiah says. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him, that is concerning the king of Assyria. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, the, that verse is a little confusing the way that it's worded, and I, I wasn't entirely sure what it meant. I was guessing, um, if I remember correctly, that it means that Jerusalem or Zion is mocking the king of, of, um, of Assyria. And I checked uh, a couple different places uh, and um, I think in both places, I know one for sure, maybe both indicated that is what's going on here. So it sounds like this is saying Jerusalem is going to be mocking you, right? That's what, um, that's what appears to be going on there. Now, verse 22, whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. This is speaking to the King of Assyria, right? You've mocked the God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord, verse 23, and you have said, With my many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it is grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in, and you're raging against me. 
Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Okay, so God addresses the king of Assyria through Isaiah and he says, do you realize who you're dealing with? You are mocking the Holy One of Israel and you have been boasting about all these things that you've accomplished, all these things that you have been able to do as though you're so mighty and you're so powerful. But guess what? You did those things because that was part of my plan. I'm the one, he says, who determined it long ago. I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass. God is saying, you might be doing these things, but I'm the one who's ultimately in control. You have not done any of these things outside of or contrary to my plan and purpose. And now I am going to turn you around. I'm going to put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth. And you're going to go exactly where I want you to go rather than where you think you want to go. So God is saying, I am in control of this situation. I've always been in control of this situation. I'm in control of all of this that's going on. So he goes on, verse 29, and this shall be the sign for you. This year, eat what grows of itself, and in the second year, what springs of the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, so they're going to eat. They've been um, you know, threatened by the king of Assyria, but they're going to be able to, to eat what grows of itself for a couple of years, and then they'll plant and harvest for the third year. And God is going to defend Jerusalem. Look at verse 32. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. That is very clear, very powerful promise from God through Isaiah to assure Hezekiah and the people of Judah, the king of Assyria is not going to be able to touch you. He's not going to set foot in this city. He's not going to set up a siege mound against your town. He's not going to raise a shield in it. He's not even going to shoot an arrow in it. I am going to protect you. I am going to defend you. You can trust me. The king of Assyria wants you to think that you cannot trust me. In chapter 18, he told the, the messengers told them not to trust Hezekiah when he told them to trust in the Lord. Now in chapter 19, Right? You get the same basic idea. But God is saying, you can trust me, and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to defend you. Hezekiah, of course, is trusting the Lord. That's why he brought that letter before the Lord in prayer. So finally, this is what happens. Here's the result. Verse 35. And that night, God didn't take his time here, right? This was a swift enactment of what God said he would do. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. 
Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, Adramelech and Shaar Ezer his sons struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon his son reigned in his place. So two key things happen here and then we're done. Number one, God destroys a huge portion of Assyria's army in the night. Just like that. They wake up in the morning, 185,000 people are dead. It gives you a, an idea of how big this army must have been. Right? What a serious threat it was uh, to the people of Jerusalem. And also you see God's power. Right? The king of Assyria overstepped his bounds. He boasted against the Lord. He threatened Jerusalem, uh, God's people and God's place. And what happened? God struck down almost 200,000 people in his army. Second thing is that he goes home, which is what we were told would happen, but he would go home. He goes home and he's struck down, but not only struck down, he's struck down in the presence of his God. That's significant because that shows us that it's his God that's actually powerless to save him, not the God of Israel that's powerless to save Jerusalem and King Hezekiah. God did deliver Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, though the king of Assyria was convinced he could not. He did because he's the real God. He's the one who's almighty. The God that the king of Assyria worshipped, however, not able to save the king when his own sons come in to attack him in the very house of his God. All of this is to remind us, to show us, to persuade us that the God of the Bible is the real God. And no matter how things look, the Assyrian army was powerful. They had conquered a lot of people, evidently. But no matter how things look, no matter how desperate the situation gets, the one place we need to put our trust, where we need to have our hope, is in the Lord God. Because He is the one true God, the Creator of heaven and earth, who holds all things in His hand. And if we trust in Him, the Bible says, we will never be put to shame. God bless.